Hello, theatre students. Welcome to our second outing of Showroom Chats, presented by me, Andy Roberts, in association with the Showroom Theatre Chichester and the University of Chichester Theatre Department. So I recently sat down with Made in China. I've known Jess and Tim since around 2010, when we got chatting at the Forest Fringe Cafe in Edinburgh. And as things happen in the theatre world, our paths crossed many times between then and now, be it performing together in a double bill at the basement Brighton, or me programming their brilliant work. Made in China's work playfully explores the paradoxes of modern identity, performances and projects that jump in at the deep end and explore what it feels like to be alive now. Work that challenges dominant assumptions and structures of our culture, asking how and why we tell stories in a world overloaded with stories. Like my recent chat with Christopher Brett Bailey, there's a fairly long preamble. So if that's not particularly why you're listening, please skip to around 15 minutes in where we start talking about their work. We start our conversation the way many of us are starting our conversations at the moment, talking about how we're handling the current situation and its impact on the theatre industry. And how have you both been during um, what is what we're going through? Uh, All right. Should we not? Should we not go there? We cannot go there. No, it's just like it's more like what like. What what do you say? Like what like what's going like what's happening? That like nothing. It's this weird. You're in this weird yeah. stasis of like when is you know like it's not that long, but it's it feels really long. And like you know the levels of anxiety are sort of like moving in and out. And you know it's like how how much do you really want to engage with with this sort of what feels like an almost knee-jerk reaction to this yeah. like an in, like a knee-jerk industry reaction to like something that like ultimately like we will have to be adaptable but like we're not going to have to do social distancing forever so i don't know why everyone's like we must tear all the seats seats out of the theater so that we could do this shakespeare for five people and i'm like really yeah. like do you need to do that why don't you just like pump money into development and like maybe some new yeah. things will come out of it Absolutely. And, and like the theater Zooms are, that are still happening. And I'm like, oh, I really was like, I'm on maternity leave. Yeah. Have, have you just had your hands full with um, trying to figure out how to teach in this situation? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. been quite a few months of just figuring out how do you do something that relies so much on contact and connection and between performers, between kind of like, how do you do that? And yet tape up a, a studio with square boxes and say you exist in this box now. <laughs> But we do, want you to you connect. Are, you are trying to, trying to let them still do practical work, are you? Yeah, I think it's like a, a split. I think it's a heavier split on online than it is face-to-face, but we've still got lots of, um, lots of our courses doing face-to-face. Um, I know many universities have gone purely online, but we're, mm-hmm. I think we're like 60% online, 40% face-to-face. Um, yeah. And we're just abiding by the university regulations for what we need to have in the spaces. And uh, the students are pretty, pretty cool. Like they have these little slippers that they wear on their feet when they come in. Um, they get their own little spray bottle for their chair and all the spray, all the chairs are wiped down. So they, they do their work and then they spray down the space and clean it before like the next nursery. group comes in. It's legit. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of, and that's how we're rolling with it. But I think the students would rather go through that process and still have face-to-face teaching than, than be behind a screen. So, so far, so far, I think it's, it's working for the best that it can do. I think there's obviously, I think it's harder for the students who have been there who are in their third year, but yeah, we're, we're, we're coping, we're figuring things out and we're making it work really. Um, I think as everyone is uh, in this kind of, crazy time that we're in um as i said my heart goes out for artists completely because i do create and make work and bootworks did lose a fair amount of um uh yeah. r&d time and touring during the summer but i have the university job to fall back on that has yeah. made me survive through it um so i feel really thankful yeah. and lucky in that moment and i know there's some people who have really really struggled um and I, I completely agree with what you said, though. I really feel like all these venues should go, okay, we're not putting on any live theatre. Let's take every single ounce of money and put it into development of artists. Let's yeah. open up our spaces to artists who can bubble in there and just yeah. make work. And let rather yeah. than just worry about... I mean, I know it obviously doesn't work that way. You've got to get revenue coming in. But for those venues that are heavily funded, fucking throw it at artists and watch them make work yeah. ready for when we do come out of this. Yeah. Yeah. to be amazing <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that, when you put it like that it sounds really simple and, and hard to argue. 
but yeah but it's not that simple I suppose no it's not happening well, and it's not that simple entirely but it feels so kind of but is. it is Could be. you know Could like be. the way the way that people talk about salaries you know the way that like people talk about salaries they're like oh well that's like a different thing than funding but like if like let's say for example the national get x amount of money from the government and they spend you know a million pounds on the top seven people salaries, which is what they spend, something like that, a million or like two million pounds on like, you know, the top 15 people salaries, however that works. You're like, well, like, I just don't think if I was making 200,000 pounds and somebody was like, would you be okay making 170,000 pounds? I wouldn't be like, no, because then we could give that 30,000 pounds to like, to commission a writer to like do something so that we could be like totally ready or like support a, a prod. Like if there's no money anywhere else, if like they can't take any of the marketing money away, if they can't do this, you know, or could you take your 30,000 pounds and like, could we like give all of the people who we've made redundant, like some sort of like redundancy package just as a yeah. gesture? I would be like, yeah, because you know what? I'm rich. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's that. I, I, yeah, it does amaze me that the top four people at that venue, are, you know, it's such a vast amount of money. And as you said, like 20% from each of them, or even 10%, and you've got possibly 10, 12 new pieces of work that has also paid for artists to live. And you're yeah. creating, hopefully, some shit hot new work for the world to see eventually. <laughs> and would make no difference to their personal finances. That's the thing. It's not like oh, going yeah. like you running the national instead of making 200 grand should be making 50 grand. Like nobody's saying that, but everybody's saying like, instead of 200 grand, 150,000 pounds is a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Like you're still in that top tax bracket. Like, yeah. you know, like that's a lot, that's a lot of money. You could still buy a million pound, get a mortgage on it for a million pound house on that. Like, yeah. you know, I'm pretty like, sure whatever your lifestyle might be based on that amount of money I think if you take 30 grand away from it you can still live that lifestyle <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but it's like footballers it's relative like everyone's like yeah but like the person who runs the south bank and you're like I like it's like you're still making a lot more money than every other director <laughs> you're making so much more money than the people who make the beautiful things that make you make that money so uh <laughs> yeah. do it there you go um, so I've got my first question and this is mainly for any of those students who might be self-isolating who are locked down or, or just like they're not going out for a beer anymore so I was a bit like okay what have the artists that we're talking to if they've had a chance to engage with anything culturally or you know whether you've read anything watched anything movies a piece of art have you is there anything you've engaged with recently that you really um you've really loved i feel like we should talk about the two ends of the spectrum one one is that like in the depths of lockdown we watched all the oceans movies <laughs> okay you know ocean 11 ocean 12 oceans 13 and oceans 8 because we just couldn't handle anything else and man oceans 12 so good is really good <laughs> definitely the best one because that's normally the one everyone pans <laughs> no, i think yeah. ocean ocean 13 is the one they oh, okay. well brad pitt like what like whatever the costume designer was doing with brad pitt in oceans 12 they really really had a good time it's also the most meta one where julia roberts plays somebody who's trying to pass as julia roberts and bruce williams yeah, I think that's bruce what I mean. comes in as himself and like they're like <laughs> talking about her real life and everyone's like, it doesn't really look like her. <laughs> which is also a joke in another show that I'm watching right now, which is The New Pope, which is like the second season yeah. of The Young Pope. And John Malkovich plays The New Pope. And everybody's like, you know that you look like John Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I didn't know they did that in that show. That's great. Doesn't he say, doesn't he, say, he speaks really weirdly anyway, yeah. particularly in the show. And he says... I don't think so. I don't think I speak as weirdly as him. Or yeah, it's like something he makes reference to the fact that he has like quite an unusual pattern. cadence. Um, no, and that, then... that New Pope show is a good reference for uh, we think because it's it's incredibly because Paolo is it Paolo Sorrentino? Pa Paolo Sorrentino. It's so theatrical, and it felt when I was watching it the other night with you that like every episode is about. Uh, spectatorship that there's always someone in the scene who's watching something that's a bit of a show going on yeah. even it's, if it's a really conversation. beautiful also and like you know it takes like it's really like lush design and it's about power 
and it takes place in Rome and you know like again the costumes are so amazing and like The Great Beauty is one of my favorite movies it's also about pe just people watching people watching yeah. other people um and last night we watched Dead Centers um show to be is it to be a machine it's called do you know Dead Center the theater company I've heard of them. I've never seen their work, though. Is it? They're, they're, your, your students should check them out. Um, they're, oh, amazing. They're really interesting. And in fact, the, one of them is probably directing the next Made in China show. Oh, brilliant. Um, and is, can you catch that? Or did you say you watched that online? Well, it's part of the Dublin yeah, I don't Festival know how long right it's now. Running. So it's, it's okay. probably running only for another... It may even end this weekend, so you probably won't be able... But, but I, I think one of their works may still be up online. They, they put it online at the start of lockdown. Which um, one? I think it was Lippy, which was the first big show they did. Yes, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard of that show. Yeah, um, that, that's I, the, that's the one where it's um, women lip syncing from Liverpool. No, is it from uh, uh, Lippy? Is it lip syncing? I, I don't, don't know. know. Lip, Lippy is about these women who died, who like sort of like basically like went into a house in Dublin and then like that's never it. came back again. I think. I yeah. Don't, um, I don't know much I've, about the yeah, show. Yeah, I've not just, seen the just show. Just the, the, their live work we've seen has been really good. Um, and this, it was interesting um, watching this because it's a show, a, they were already engaging with like, what does it mean to have a disembodied, like to be disembodied, like, like what is humanness? So conceptually it works really well in this, like in like what's happening right now where we're all sort of removed through a screen, um, you know, in, and, and they sort of like, I think because of that, they were able to engage with the weirdness of what's going on. And also, and this took me a really long time. So um, the actor in it was, is Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Um, right, which I okay. didn't watch. He's, he's Irish, he's like young, a young Irish guy. And this is based on a book by a middle-aged a middle Irish man. And at one point he was like, I'm 41 and I was like, is that guy 41, really? And like, I must have like missed the part where like, but also because I didn't recognize him or I recognized him enough where I sort of looked at him and I was like, have I met him when I've been hanging out with Ben and Lynn? Like, is he just one of their like Irish actor friends who like, like I sort of like met in passing because we're <laughs> um, literally to the point where like he stands and he's like in front of a green screen and like a, the Game of Thrones thing comes up in the background. And I was like, oh, that's from Game of Thrones. And I just didn't make the connection until he said, I was in Game of Thrones. And then I was like, oh, it's the dead teenager from Game of Thrones. Oh, and I still had to Google him. <laughs> there you go. Uh -huh. And did you say for 41? No, he's not 41, he's 27. Oh, I was gonna say, I, in a minute, I was like, what? He said he was 41 in the show and I was like, he looks really young. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. It just didn't like it didn't occur to me that that like I like missed He says he's forty one because the, the whole show revolves around the sort of interplay between what's real and what's um what's kind of maybe real and then what's blatantly false, which I suppose is right. something that we're really into as well. Yeah, um, and they're and they're so, into that anyway. But so I he's think if talking you knew... about being an author who co made the show with them based on his book. Right. And, and then eventually you come to how he, as the author, asked the, what's his name, the actor? He like talks as the author from the point of view as the author about how he asked the actor that he actually is, who's performing it, to, to perform as him. But, so, okay. but I think he's, he's, fa he's famous, he's somebody who's famous. So he would be like on 41. And if you knew, it's because I didn't, because I only, I recognized him, but in a way where I was like, this is, this is somebody who I've just met versus like, this is somebody who's on the most successful television show of all yeah. time. So I, I missed that bit where you were supposed to know who he was. Cause he, right, yeah. looked, he looked like a friend of a friend. Anyway, I feel like we could probably end this long digression. With the, <laughs> yeah. by just saying you have to be there basically. Yeah, that's right. What, so I've, maybe, told, I've told this story. Watch, I've told this, a story that's too long. It doesn't really make any sense. It could have been summarized in a sentence. No, um, but I mean, if the if the work pops up again or exists somewhere else, then yeah, yeah, yeah and it will. I think I find it. Yeah, perfect. Um, and what else is really good? Um, Let's I, have another question. I read no, it's because <laughs> they they need stuff to to like watch and do if they're in isolation. Swimming Home by Deborah Levy is an amazing book, and um, everything by Deborah Levy. Okay. Should read. And Succession we really loved, and I'm yeah. in the middle of Chits Creek, which is uh, I'm. Oh. 
thoroughly enjoying 20, 20 minutes of television of like perfect comedy television. It's so good. I like Shit's Creek. I just find it so beautiful. It's oh. just the acceptance of I, I just, just the whole thing is just so joyful and just so hopeful about yeah. just just acceptance of people as who they are. And oh, it's, yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> also, um, the hand acting. They all do yeah. so much hand acting and I'm just really into it. <laughs> yeah. And I always find like the the sister, so what is it, Alexa and yeah. her, the brother, their yeah. little mannerisms and facial movements that they do that are just so linked that you're like, oh yeah, they're brother and sister, even though they're not. It's kind yeah. of, yeah, brilliant. And Stevie, every time Stevie's on screen with Catherine O'Hara, she's always looks like she's about to lose her shit and start laughing. That's so <laughs> yeah. amazing. And there's so many moments where you're like, they're gonna corpse and they just leave it in there. Yeah, yeah you so don't see that on TV much, do you? Yeah. See that on theatre more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dan Daniel Levy regularly is like, he looks like he's just like holding in like a massive laugh, and you know, when the camera panned away, everybody on the set just totally. <laughs> it like it looked like it was a joy to make, and I think it's just sometimes just really nice to watch something that's not hard. That they're like, it's yeah. actually like you said, it's really easy to just accept yeah. people for who they are. Like, it doesn't have to be a hard, challenging thing. We could just sort of make the world we want. It's so, it's always so much easier, I find sometimes to watch something when you know the people making it are enjoying doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like when you see, but yeah, just like, I know that you've had an absolute ball of a time making this yeah. and that makes it so much better and easier to watch. I don't know why, it's just something, yeah, I just find it. Yeah. Cool, right, let's talk about your work then. Let's transition. <laughs> um, so let's talk about my questions are a bit all over the shop and I sent you most of them. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about, well, this can be for all of your work actually, but I'm just interested in the idea of what ideas normally spark a piece of work. Like what is the thing that normally, is it a, a loads of different things that come together and once they have, you go, yes, we can, we can make something now. Or do you set out, do you have a kind of like a way that you, work in that way like what what happens for you to go yeah let's make that into a piece or is it a really tough the question i don't know i'm new to this i'm really new to this so i don't know if that's really? a really tough question, that question is it's, a good, a good, it's a really good question it needs to be thought about um because i i mean i, th I don't i don't think that there's a much of a formula to it for us um i think it's a little bit like a lot of the way we work it's it is quite intuitive, which, um, which, yeah, which doesn't mean that it's um, impossible to sort of talk about or teach, but just does does mean that that it's like probably starts with a spark that just something that won't go away that you keep thinking about, and that ends up or maybe ends up feeling like the only idea you've got often actually. And I think that's like, sometimes that sounds worrying and feels worrying. Like, why haven't I got millions of ideas? But actually it's not, you know, I don't think it's true for many artists, certainly not for me or us that you like, have always got 10 ideas and then you shortlist it to five and they're all really good. But in the end you plump for the one that's just really, really great. And that's the, the one you go with more like more often than <laughs> you just, well, this is the only thing I can keep. I keep coming back to this, uh, I mean, it, sometimes it is a bit of like an issue for us and an, a sort of a theme. Um, a is, it, moral is it a political. shared, is it a shared thing or does it come more from one of you? I, Cause just, if I think about bootworks and how we operate as a three, um, it will be one person with that burning desire and they'll use the rest of us as a sounding board to build that idea. And then they might run with it and we support that idea because there's two of you is it does it lean to either one of you or is it normally a shared thing that's just building between the two of you i think i think that like quite often and certainly in the like our early work was that more where shared. we it was more shared you know so it would be stuff we would talk a lot a lot a lot about about ideas and it would be, it would sort of out of those talks or one of us would be like, read this thing. And then we, it would sort of snowball into an idea for a show. But I think now more and more as our work, you know, we, we sort of like redefine what our collaboration looks like. And we're having to do that 
I think everybody has to do that, but like, you know, certainly in terms of like how our practice and how we work together, you know, we're, we're really consistently having to do that because we're a couple and we have a baby now. And like, you know, the issues of collaboration for us, and this is not all couples, like, you know, I'm sure that everybody, I'm sure Search Party and Action Hero would have a different version of this, but you know, like the, it's almost like, the exact like being a couple exacerbates some of like the tricky things in the collaboration and vice versa so we're we're having to sort of constantly be adapting how we work together as our relationship changes and grows and adapts and but um so now one of us has an idea and puts that forward and like you said the other one will support them in that and we'll have like a lead so the Super duper close up was that. I think Smithereens, which is the new show we're working on, is that for Tim. And tonight I'm going to be the new me in many ways was the, the show where we said, this was how we used to do it and we can't do that anymore. And that's what that right. show was about. It you know, was about sort of our inability to, to like move beyond this headbutt. Okay. Yeah, the, the, I think realizing that we'd assumed that it should just be completely shared and equal because that's sometimes how it's this kind of niche of theater that we're in, of, of sort of the collaborative, devised, contemporary yeah. performance, fringe, whatever. And actually, it maybe always was a little bit like someone's leading with an idea and the other one's role needs to be to support that a bit. And so it became difficult at the moment of transitioning to, to fully accepting that as the model. And also, if I think about the very beginning moments of those last, those well, not the last three, but those three shows you mentioned, Tonight I'm Going to Be the New Me, Super Super Close Up, and Smithereens, which is, Smithereens is still being made. But like the, the, the beginning moments of Tonight I'm Going to Be the New Me in 2015 was very much a kind of, what I think we thought of as the Made in China way, which was kind of start with an idea that is probably just a, dumb, ridiculous idea um, that's like, I think, I remember you saying like cockamamie idea, you were like, I've got, and, and that somehow we were like, it's a cockamamie idea, that means it's a good idea. It's and, not, it's not, it's not, not every think, dumb idea is a good idea. Many are, but. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it, that thought of work for us at the start, but more and more um, super duper close up in 2018 was very much Jess leading me as dramaturg. It was written and, and created by you and performed by you. Um, and so I guess that came from something much kind of slower and deeper. Yeah, that was a slow burn. That was a really slow burn thing. And I, but I think, so to sort of get back to the, the main question is like, I think that what a lot of, where a lot of ideas, our ideas come from are are circling around these sort of same questions we have or theses we're trying to sort of work out, you know, what is the relationship of an audience and a, and a live performance, a spectacle? Like what, what does it mean to witness something? What does it mean to acknowledge that witness? What does it mean to, you know, live in a world and be consuming things and being by making this art be participating in that because we are making something that we're selling and like that thing that we're selling is ourselves and what is like these are these are the sort of things that like um these are the sort of things that we we keep coming back to and all of our shows are about that in some way what's like one of us or both of us has a, a feeling something that's disturbing us that we are feeling in the world, um, whether that's that we're watching the news whilst at the pub and it's a catastrophe happening and we're drinking pints and having fun and there's a live stream of it. Which was we flood. hope you're happy. That was we hope you're happy. Yeah. And, that, and that, that, this, that feeling, starting from a feeling, I think yeah. theme is always there. So like Smithereens, the one that we're making at the moment, I wanted to write a play about bombs, but I th and, and so I say it's about bombs, it's about like what bombs do to cities, but it's also about a feeling like an icky feeling that I have to do with excitement around terrible events, which is also, we hope that you're happy. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And the end also like the, the questioning of like who, who's allowed to have those icky feelings around terrible events, you know, like who is in a position yeah. of privilege, like sort of looking down that barrel, like Tim, ha Tim has, is a can have excitement about that because he's lived a relatively trauma-free life, you know, and, and, 
and putting that out there and being like, it's not just me who feels this. Like we should be, we should, we should be asking that question. Like, why is it that I feel like that? Isn't that fucked up? And like then starting to look at all of the sort of social cogs that have sort of created that, you know, and um, because that sort of, and, and with super duper close up, it was like, why can't I stop watching plastic surgery, surgery videos on Instagram? Yeah. Like, why, why can't I stop watching these people getting their lips injected? Like, I'm so, I was so obsessed with it. Like, like just beyond, I was like, what is that? Like, I don't, I don't want to get lip injections. And as yeah. you can see, but your students can't, I definitely don't have lip injections. <laughs> but um, like, what is, what is that in the way that like, we, what are we presenting and normalizing about things? And, and should we be, and like uh, lots of other stuff. And like, what is, what is this? And how is that playing into sort of my sense of continuing anxiety, which is also what all of our pieces are sort of slightly about. Yeah. It's about the sort of like this sort of, cultural, social, uh, national anxiety. Yeah. It's like a pandemic of anxiety. I mean, like, and now we're really in a pandemic of yeah, anxiety. Take, take that normally and then add a pandemic on top of it yeah. and watch that grow, you know? <laughs> I mean, I said in March, like, or April when this all started, I was like, literally my whole life's work has been leading up to this because my day is just a degrading loop. And that's what every single show I've ever made is. I'm like, all I've been getting ready for this moment my whole life. Finally. Finally. <laughs> if you've watched a Made in China show, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're ready. Yeah. Guys, there's a global pandemic. Get the beer. Yeah, yeah. get the beer and the popcorn, people. It's... <laughs> Cool. Sit at your window and watch it fall apart. Great. And so sort of following on from that question, I suppose, and I think you've started to answer bits and pieces of this already. But um, if you look at, I think our students are sometimes quite interested in on starting points. So once you've got the initial idea, it's the idea of going, so say I know Bryony Kimming someone sometimes talks about, she visualizes it first. She visualizes the set. She visualizes how it's going to look before she starts then making to, to make that come to life. I don't know if she does that with every show, but I've heard her talk about a few shows that way. Um, is there a process, uh, is it always changing for you? Or is there like, you've got the R&D space booked because you've got the idea, you've got the funding. Is there like, this is what we tackle first or does it always change and there is no, there is no formula? Um, should we, just before we answer, should we try and be a little bit briefer in our answers? Because I realize we've um, no, you know, it's absolutely, it's up to you. You can be, it's absolutely fine. Right. Honestly, I don't want to, if we only get three questions done, we only get three questions right. done. Honestly, it's totally um, fine. We can, we'll take phone calls if you, if, if, <laughs> if, if, if more questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, f I, I know for me and I, I maybe I can only speak for me actually, even though this is a, a collaboration of sorts. Um, but like it always starts with text for me, I think I, in terms of what I, how I explore and how I sort of try to visualize the idea is by writing text, but that's, that's quite specific to me coming from it as someone who doesn't perform in the work really is I'm not a performer, a trained performer and um, see sort of identify myself professionally as a playwright. Um, I think for a really long time, I was like, we'll improvise our way to the show. And then it like, I'm, I never was good at improvising. I don't like improvising. I, um, I definitely like to think, I just spend a lot of time thinking, you know, and I think thinking about like, I, I do think of all the elements, but I, I also come in with words. You know, we okay. make theater, I think for a long time, I was like, I, don't start with, I like, I don't know. Like it, I, I find it much easier to start do, and I do some writing. I, you know, the other stuff sort of tends to come later. Okay. Although super duper close up, we did a development period. I had done almost no, I did no writing. I did like loads and loads of thinking. And then I went into a room with a choreographer and we just, I, I sort of like had some rules and we just made up loads and loads and loads of dances. Okay. And none of those dances are in the show, but I started exploring some of the themes that I was interested in, or at least like the formal themes with 
without thinking of like what the show was going to look like, what I was going to say, if there was going to be a progressive narrative. I like didn't think of any of that. I was like, I want to start and go like, here's what these dances, like let's just make up like loads of dances with these rules on them. And we did that. And then I came up with a concept. You know, there was already a concept that I wanted to have like live film in it. So I need that. And I came up with a concept. That concept then went away. The dances went away. And then I just wrote, I wrote, you know, a, like a, a piece of text that was 18,000 words. It was like unperformable. It was like, it, like I wrote it to be read. Like it was meant to be. I, I would say that it seems to me like you also, as, as well as those ways, you also do quite a lot visual, not necessarily like visualizing the stage, but finding the visual textures like you always yeah. do kind of mood board stuff although you never call it that or... yeah I don't call it a mood board because I don't make an actual mood board but yeah. like I do spend a lot of time like looking at pictures and music videos and watching like 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 very specific visual research which is what and then I respond to that vis visual research with text mostly like sort of okay. trying to think of could I describe this? And if I can describe, if I can't describe it, how do I represent it? You know, those are sort of like things, but- I, I would kind of say all of those ways, including text are sort of ways to try and find the atmosphere or the feel of the show. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's And that's how in. we start. For yeah. us, for us, the best way to start anything is by trying to identify the feelings in the show. And sometimes that happens by sitting down and like doing loads of prelim preliminary writing. And sometimes that happens by watching every Rihanna music video ever made. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think our students will, will like that approach. <laughs> Let's just, bin, just binge Instagram and YouTube for hours and hours. It, we, we'll get doing something. research. <laughs> I've, I've watched that Love in a Hopeless Place video seven yeah. million times. Okay. Brilliant. Um, cool. So next question. I think you've answered that. One of our student questions was based around improvisation and the idea of, um, is there much improvisation? They were looking mainly at, um, uh, we hope you're happy. And the idea of, was it fully scripted? They said there was like a freedom in the play between the two performers that um, felt almost improvised. And they were wondering when you were making the piece of work, were you like given a set of script but you were allowed to really break the rules within that script or was it really strictly scripted and you've just made it look playful and, and improvised did you did you ask chris bailey about this i did <laughs> i didn't no i didn't i didn't ask him about um it. no we had there was no improvisation well, uh in the script at all not in, no not, not in, in the, the finished, finished show thing but, but we did improvise a lot Chris and I, the, the way that we do improvise is like like certainly with chris he and i sit there and we just talk a lot together okay. and Tim notates stuff down and then we set it but it's set um much to Chris's but, but disappointment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like things I'm like a really rigid I'm actually like I like I could do I do it the same every time I just I mean it's okay. not like obviously there has to be room for like audience interaction which you can't script for and you have to be like quick on your toes and able to be responsive in that time. And the way that I'm able to do that is by knowing exactly where I am at all times. Like I do the same thing with my hands all the time. I look in the same places most of the time. I use the same intonation in my voice most of the time. Like I'm a very um, precise, I like performing for me is like an, an exercise in precision. Okay, okay. And, and so I'm just really, I'm just really good at like being natural. I'm just, I just, I just make it, I just make it look like I'm improvising, you know, that's, that's what I've got as a performer. <laughs> that's the only thing I can do, actually. But, I can't do anything was, else. There was a hell of a, not a hell of a lot, but certainly more than any other show we've made, I think, in the process of making Me Hope You're Happy, there was a lot of um, improvisation around a task, or as you say, just conversations where we tried to not set much of a task and just have you guys bouncing off each other about whatever shit you wanted to talk about really. Um, and then some things where I might, I might then turn that into some text that you'd work with and still maybe improvise off and around a little bit. But by the time any audience member comes in, we're working with a script and it has to be word for word the script. I think me and Jess both feel quite strongly about that. And Chris, but there was an interesting point with We Hope You're Happy when we first started performing it and Chris kind of pushed, wanted to push back against that um, 
because he might have been right that he was sort of like I think it will be this show will be better if we can improvise. Yeah, and Chris was Chris in the was, live in the performance. Pro, with, I'm sure Chris was right about that. I just can't. But it wasn't do right it. for us. Yeah, <laughs> and some of that, some of that's a performance scale. And, and like, it's not like I can improvise in the moment, but again, I need such strict rules around that. Chris is just a really Chris is a really great improviser. Like he doesn't, you know, like he's just really good at that. And I. Um, uh, clam up like if, right. the, if the whole show if there was always the ability to do that and that was sort of in it I'm sure that I probably could but I I, I like I like things in a tighter box and again it does for, because for me the like the act of being live something could go wrong at any moment so I need to just be like ready for that so if like something could also go wrong in the box or any moment I just totally I totally panic, and I'm sure it, Chris was right that like the show would have been better, but I was a wimp, and I don't want to do it. So, like... No, I don't. I, I wouldn't agree with that. I think the, I've seen that piece a few times, and obviously rewatching it on video, I think it's just, and mainly from the students' question point of view, I think it's just it's got that style that it feels yeah. like it has, especially possibly within the the rehearsal period as well, where it's got such a natural kind of flow to it. It just feels like there's moments where it's just you two, just not shitting around but just yeah just flowing and improvising with those kind of those characters in that moment to see what happened um so yeah no but i think yeah, it works I mean, we that's what we're like i mean like like i i feel sorry for anybody who's like sitting with the two of us when we're having a social drink because you can't like we're just like me 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 <laughs> Dad's Tim nods. Tim nods slowly. <laughs> yes, yes. We're like sitting in the corner yelling at each other. And like yeah. just so sort of like speaking at volume. As Tim sort of puts his headphones in and puts a podcast <laughs> on. You guys go for it. But, but ironically, <laughs> I want to kind of claim some credit in We Hope You're Happy. Oh, yeah, some you some did, of it you was did. also sort of me Observing us kind of and... retreating from that drink with them going, bloody hell, hot, like you say, Andy, kind of holding yeah. my ears, and like <laughs> crying a little bit and then typing up some stuff that is, <laughs> comes from my, my brain, but is completely in the voice of, you know, I was writing, it's funny coming from the playwriting sort of background. And, and so I'm working, I was working then with Jess and Chris as versions of themselves on stage and I really just treated some of that like I'm writing a play, but Jess and Chris are the characters in the play. Okay. And some of, I think some of that improvised feel does come from there as well as from almost verbatim things that they kind of said and did in improvisations. Oh, cool. Brilliant. Uh, next question is about, and I'm pretty positive I know the answer. And I think the only reason I kind of thought about this question is because Bootworks seem to, because we all have other jobs, we have to be very strict with like the timing of a project and how long a project takes. But students were talking about this as well in the little workshop, like what is the time frame of a typical Made in China project? Do you, do you set out to go, you know, it, it will, this show will be three weeks of R&D, three weeks of prep, or it, does that just not exist for you guys? It, it just, it slowly builds and gets made when it gets made. I think it like, you know, we've, we've made shows in different time frames before. I think some of it, uh, it I think it's based on, um, I think it's based on whether or not we are, doing the show like whether we're pushing that show forward or whether it's commissioned whether like you know like yeah. we I don't think that we set um you know I think ideally I mean I guess this is this is like the hard thing because like what like what what is a like how long does it take to make something I don't you know I don't know like some things just happen really fast for yeah. yourself but I think in general we work pretty slowly I think it's, yeah, we definitely have worked, I'd say, slower and slower since making Gym Party, which was sort of our third, third, fourth show. And we, I was think after stationary that- Stationary Access, We Hope You're we Happy. And we then, was it then Gym Party? No, no we, we did Get Stuff Break Free at, on the roof of the National Theatre. That's right, that's uh, correct. And that, that one we made literally in about three months, uh, um, more or less, not quite full time, but more or less. And um, that felt way too fast and intense. And then right, Gym yeah. Party quite soon after that was only a few months as well, um, sort of from the spring into the Edinburgh Festival. And after that, we were like, this is crazy to put that pressure on a creative process. Yeah. Um, so we tried to really give ourselves more time. Um, and 
and I think we've taken that to an extreme maybe and, and now we're like actually it'd be cool to make some things at a little bit of a bit quicker i think i think that um what what and yeah what ended up happening is that everything we were making was like the next big show and i think that what we're talking about now is like if it takes us a year and a half to make a show then that's how long it takes us to make the big shows but are there ways that we could sort of incorporate other parts like is there a way we could expand our practice so that like you know if we're making a show and that's going to take as long as it takes, yeah. you know, are we also making, you know, a video project or like, you know, working with participants and sort of making something with them that is also part of our art practice. And, you know, like looking into other, just like looking into other ways we make things that have their own time frame, so that we're just working more. Cause at the minute, it's also quite intense to be like, I'm trying to figure out what this thing is and I'm, it just is like taking a really long time and I don't, I'm not doing anything else. This is the only thing I'm doing. So like sometimes just having a sort of diversion. So we're less strict with time. I think you're less strict with time. Yeah. 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 Okay. And let's go to final question. The, the hardest question, but one we, we, we're really trying to explore as a department. Um, one thing we pride ourselves on is our ability to nurture and give freedom to our students to make work and to fail and to present and to to really kind of come together, give them loads of time to create projects and this kind of thing. Um, but one thing we're always that is always I suppose it's always constantly shifting is that moment when they leave our university and they go out into the world and that kind of how do they get their work out there? Now, I could talk from Bootworks point of view and go, this is what we did but it was a very unique pattern and chips fell in a very certain order in order for us to kind of get to where we got or to be able to have the opportunities that we have. Um, and I do know the landscape is always constantly changing, but maybe that you can have some advice from things that of how you did it, or that might be helpful. That might be, for me, it was always about when we were first starting, it was always about scratch nights that were the big thing at that time. Um, so yeah, is there any tips or advice? I, and I know it is a hard question because it's really hard to think back about, you know, cause it, a lot of it is luck or things just falling into place. But for me, yeah, so say I say like uh, work in progress and scratch nights were where I not only got to present bits and pieces of my work or we did, but I got to meet loads of people. And through meeting those people and getting, having conversations and collaborating and things like that, that's how that built. But I don't feel like scratch nights are as prevalent as they used to be or mm. so. Um, yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm talking too much now, but yeah. What advice yeah, might you have? I mean, I mean, our first show went on because one of my tutors was one of the shunt artists and he liked it. Like that's okay. what, that's what happened. And, and, and then Tim was able to invite loads of people because he had, so <laughs> an agent <laughs> so like yeah i was going to say that so so the message to the students is get your lecturers to put your shows on when you... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> andy will put your shows on for you when you finish uni guys yeah yeah there you go <laughs> and it's super cool and it's super cool performance space <laughs> yeah, that you've performed in a hundred times <laughs> called the showroom <laughs> um no i i suppose yeah that was that was a pretty good bit of luck for us, wasn't it? That 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 Misha was at, at Shunt and Shunt was like the best, amazing, Shunt cool, was the best. Un was literally the best. underground performance space oh in, God, in so central cool. London. Um, so so that was that was our massive bit of luck. And yeah, also I suppose me getting a writing agent and her inviting some people from. I remember we, so we did this show in this like cellar in Shunt uh, just as we finished our MA and it was 20 minutes long and the, the cellar could fit about 10 people in it but we put about 30 people in it in the audience um, and and yeah my agent had given me emails for people at the National and the Royal Court and Soho Theatre and they three of those three of those people came and you know, quite quickly we got we had a week at the National Theatre Studio. So so that sounds really really lucky, um, but I suppose the other the flip side of that is pr probably our version of what you alluded to, Andy, with the scratch nights, which is that just spent ages um, not not getting paid for the work. Of, of mm. course, is I think it's problematic even at the very start of careers yeah. that that happens, but it happens. Um, 
turning turning up to to do scratches and work in progresses at, at places like BAC um, and the Junction, Cambridge Junction, and and like they they were useful because we did make links at those venues that are still lasting links. Yeah. Um, and and it is yes, connections is everything, isn't it? Because although we, do you know what BAC? What it took at BAC was another industry contact we'd made who was mates with the artistic director at BAC emailing or texting him and saying you have to go and see their show it was we, we have it was we have thinking we hope you're happy yeah we were doing a, a sort of preview version of we hope you're happy at Riverside a Studios. sort of performance day at Riverside Studios that a friend of ours had put on um and she, some someone we we'd started working with managed to text David Job and Games come and see. We hope you're happy. So it was all that, and then and then we also went to the Fringe and did a whole month at the Fringe, which was um, yeah. which was mad and, and exhausting. That's when we met you. That's when yeah. we were doing stationary access. Stationary and me and James were doing the climb to space at that time. Oh yeah, wasn't it? yeah. I would just come and sit. I would come and like sit in the lobby with you guys at like twelve thirty, and I'd be like, I am wasted because I've had like a whole <laughs> yeah. of I've been I've been cycling and in the show and then like meanwhile james just like walking up and down i was like how you doing what are you guys doing what are you guys up to you're like the only people who are like around who want to talk to you because everybody else is still sleeping because they were up what, what's going on what's going on hey what's going on those are really silver pants where did you get those and you were like this fucking american woman <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was do you know i think when i think back about projects that we did and just the amount of people we got to meet and the different stories we had that one is just right up there that and forest fringe in general was a beautiful place because i would just always suggest to students like you know chat to andy chat to andy chat to andy field like become you know even if you can get just like a little 10 minute preview of something with the forest fringe it's such a beautiful place and then obviously they lost forest fringe cafe and went over to blue drill hill and now they're doing a different thing but yeah that was a really lovely time um when that existed in that form there were a lot of platforms i think what you know like what we didn't get was what the the people who are like 10, 15, 20 years older got, which was core funding. Like we yeah. just didn't, like none of us ever had any money, but we still, we, I think that we like all started right at the tail end of there still being like a lot of these platforms that have, if they hadn't been set up by by people who did core funding, they were set up by people who thought they were gonna get core funding because that yeah. just, that ended the year that like we all started, like or right around the time we all started working. So there was still this idea that like, okay, so like we could do this emerging platform thing and we could set this thing up because like in a year we're gonna apply and we're gonna get like our costs covered. Yeah. And I think, I like I think that that, like we, we did get some of the we got sort of like the right at the end benefit of the fact that like people were still able to do things like that, which like ended like, you know, by 2011, which is a year after we went to the fringe for the first time, stuff like that was already starting to sort of fall yeah. away because, because of the, the cuts and the changes in systems. Yeah. Um, it's so bleak. So basically um, be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Money. No, no, I'm kidding. Don't retrain. Financial, he can go fuck himself. <laughs> the financial side is a different thing, isn't it? But it, yeah, like it's almost like, like what, whatever it is that happened, happened because we were prepared to just kind of do it, fund it some other way and do yeah. it regardless. No, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think I, I know we all disagree that that possibly shouldn't be the way, you know, that you shouldn't be doing stuff for free and there should be. But I, I think especially if we're talking about like students just coming out of university, I think they have that hunger and they will find a way to to pay for that train ticket to, to go present that work or to, pay, you know, I think yeah. they'll drive that. And if it's just finding out ways of like, yeah, what is a kind of a best way for them to get out there? But from the artists I speak to, it does feel like it's just just search and search and search, find those opportunities, become a part of a community and just present as much as you can and, and invite Berman, people and see what happens. Matt yeah. Berman at the junction is trying to do, you know, was trying, is trying to do stuff. And um, like, like they were like, obviously everything's been canceled, but they have their watch out festival, which I think is being called something else now. Right. But you know, so it's like, places like that where they're looking for like new artists to bring in like new ideas about how to disrupt systems and you know how to sort of like engage communities that haven't been engaged and you know pe- young people have better ideas about stuff like that so yeah. i i do think that that people want to hear from 
from recent graduates and people want to hear from from young artists and people making their first shows because the way that they the way that any any new artist is going to look at the world like is going to be interesting like it's going to be interesting like you're like the other big thing to remember when you're starting to get out there and you want your work to be seen is like not to undersell yourself like your work is interesting and your ideas are interesting and you are interesting as a person who is alive in the world now thinking about like how how to sort of have conversations with lots of people in a room that is like an interesting thing so like don't don't do yourself down when you're talking to anybody who might have an opportunity. It's not like, oh my God, thank you for letting me do this five minute thing and not paying me and like making me essentially pay to be here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it because people still treat us like that. And like, I'm like, I don't think that artists should be groveling for like an opportunity that like, you know, go in there and be confident with what, with what you do and who you are. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Great advice. I, just hope, I hope that I hope that rings it rings in the students' ears as they leave. Just fucking go in there with confidence. Be proud of what you I make. Can, who I you can, are. Like, I can do this. Hi, hire me to be the, to be your like the <laughs> university professor. At the at the end of every at their graduation, you just step up. <laughs> it's like right, you're off. Take by the shoulders. <laughs> you are wonderful. Go. <laughs> yeah. Be free. No, don't let anyone fuck you around. <laughs> Go. <laughs> oh fantastic well um it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to the both of you thanks so much for taking the time to do this out of your busy schedules oh, it's really nice. um it's really nice. I, we've had we've had a really lovely time watching your work on film um and we really look forward to seeing you live next semester yeah. Yeah. In. so um yeah so let's do, you know i'm still crossing my fingers for every yeah. date but we are the showroom is going ahead <laughs> with live performance so yeah whether it's just we'll for our there. students and whether we have to tape up the, the seats so there's only 50 in there we do not give do a shit live work will be happening <laughs> someone someone can hold someone can hold the baby we'll, we'll be yeah. fine yeah. well we have to be in a bubble though Anyway, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. roll it around. So you, yeah. So you won't be able to hear her. She'll just be like rolling around the stage. Oh, that'd be, do you know what? That, it would steal the show though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The show isn't super duper close up. We just get the carpet and like the, the sort of glitter slash stuff. And we just roll her around in a stage and like a sparkly yeah. bubble. Absolutely. That's, on it. That's, the, next That's the next show. show. That's the next show. That's the next show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All oh, right. We'll have a wonderful rest of the weekend, team, and I will see you both soon, I hope. Yeah, we'll see you soon. So that was Made in China. It was genuinely lovely to sit down and talk with Jess and Tim. Um, always love their energy. And I think Jess's wise words at the end there about believing in your work and, and understanding that your work has value is a really good thing to take away from this, and especially to take away from university if you're trying to get your work out there. Believe in it. It has its place. It deserves to be on a stage. Cool. So next up, we have Sleepwalk Collective. I'll be sitting down to talk with them soon. Um, yeah. So until next time, thank you very much for listening.